there's a path set out in front of us, it's by faith and not sight. And that uh, the things that we see may seem overwhelming or may take all of our focus, and yet we ask that you'd help us push those things aside so that we can walk the walk of faith, to walk towards you. We know we're all on a spiritual journey. Some are walking towards you, some are walking away. I pray that we would be steadily walking towards you, that we'd enter the narrow way, the narrow gate, and to follow you all of our days. And so I pray that what we talk about in your word, uh, I pray that that helps us in that walk, that, that your word would encourage us today, challenge us, move us in the places we need to be moved to walk by faith. So bless us as we look at your word. Bless my words as I speak them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, Kevin, could you help me like turn these monitors off? I hear buzzing. Thank you. I still hear it. Is there a power switch here? You got it? Thank you. And there's one over here. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. Awesome. Well, this was probably the unlikeliest of friendships. You've got the, the prince, heir to the throne, and he becomes best friends with his rival, quote-unquote rival. He, probably in his mid-40s, and his rival, the shepherd boy, probably in his teenage years. And yet they form this unshakable friendship, a friendship that will be tested, will be tried. Because the prince's father, the king, hates the rivals, jealous of his victories and his successes. That conflict will put the prince at odds with his dad. A spear is thrown, and lucky for the prince, the dad has a bad aim. His friendship continues, speaks on behalf of his friend, lives on behalf of his friend. How can this be? Because, of course, back then, if you're the next in line to the throne and you have any sort of political rivals, you know what you do. This is 3,000 years ago. You just have your rivals killed. You have their families killed. And that, and that assures your rise to power. But not this prince. You might say, what, what is it there? You know, what, what did he see in that teenage guy and I think he saw himself. I think he saw himself. He saw the giant fall, or heard about it at least. And it probably took him back a few years earlier when he was hanging out with his dad and 600 soldiers and a priest and nobody was attacking the enemy. And so he, the prince said to himself, I'm going to attack the enemy. And so he slips away unseen and goes and attacks Philistines and kills about 20 of them with his shield bearer. And he remembers thinking to himself, the Lord is the Lord who saves by many or by few. And so he goes and he fights on his own. And then he remembers hearing that teenage boys, that his words the day that he fought the giant. He remembers those words. This day, 
the world will know that the Lord doesn't save by spear or by sword. This is the Lord of hosts. And he thinks, I talk like that. That's how I feel about it. We can fight anybody with the Lord. And maybe he considers, how do you solidify such a friendship when your father is half sane and, and, and half pretty crazy at times, pretty crazed with jealousy? How do you solidify a friendship when, when the common custom of the day is to eliminate political rivals? And, and what he can think to do is, I'll make a covenant. I'll make a covenant. And I will proclaim my loyalty, my faithfulness to this young man for the rest of my life. Let's take a look at that covenant, if you would, this morning between Jonathan and young David in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Would you turn there? should be Bibles in front of you if you didn't bring one. started studying this passage this week on friendship and I and I was uh, at some point it hit me this is July 4th weekend I should be preaching about this country you know and, and where we're at and what's going on and and uh, and I guess I just felt settled in my soul to say that this is it this is on the schedule we're going we're to talk about friendship today and I'm going to pray it blesses you and and I know the word of God does so it, it should um, before we start talking about David and Jonathan I want to talk about the difficulties of friendship in general. Friendships, I think friendship is an odd thing for us in the 21st century. Even using the word friend can be confusing because I probably have 500 some friends on my Facebook page. I don't know how many you have. Do I, got, do I have more? It doesn't matter. I mean, there, there should be like a little, uh, little parentheses around, around the friend thing, you know, uh, it should say, or acquaintances. Because you know that's what most of them are. That's what most of them are. So that doesn't really work because how many of your Facebook friends would you call at 2 a.m. to help you? How many of you even talked with on the phone recently in the last year? How many of you sat across the table from? See, these are the things that build friendships. Like we know the speaking and the sharing of life, the sharing of a meal. The, the, the being together, or even when they're far apart, just picking up the phone and making that call. And yet we don't do that with those people, so more than likely they're acquaintances. And then there are church people, church friends. We, 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 we work really hard to try to tell people this is the family. Biblically speaking, we are the body of Christ. We are the family, whether you attend Three Lakes or not. You're part of the family if you're a believer. But even that's hard because you can walk into church and, and you all know this. And what is the first thing you say when you see people? How are you doing? How are you doing? Which, which is just code for, uh, I acknowledge your presence. There you are. I saw you today. And I will smile your direction. How are you doing? It certainly doesn't mean, how are you doing? And sometimes I even fall into that. Uh, people ask me how things are going, you know, and I start telling them, and then I see the glazed over look, and I'm like, oh, 
they don't care. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> and so it's more polite to say, fine, which means I acknowledge you back. <laughs> there you are. I got a smile for you today. And that's that. I think sometimes the oddest things are when I've said, how are you doing? And someone, you know, goes into this 20-minute, here's how life is, and it's hard. And I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting that. And sometimes I'm refreshed, and sometimes I'm like, get me out of here, you know. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, but but that's, that's kind of the culture we live in. Even when we do church, we have ways to do it politely and, and to not really pursue friendship, but really to pursue acquaintances that we just kind of shake our head at. There's the family of God. There you are. And then if we get in any sort of conflict with these people in church that we acknowledge, we no longer ask them if they're, how they're doing. And we no longer say fine. We just try to sit somewhere else, right? And if you're in a small church like this one, and you can see them over there, well, then you've got to find a new church. Because how can you tolerate that? And there's three other churches in the Northwoods that are free churches, and they're all within half an hour. So you see how that goes. And it does go that way. I suppose if you're from a bigger church, you can just find your way to another side. I, I come from a bigger church, which is maybe 1,500 to 2,000, and, and you could. You could just go somewhere else if you wanted to. I mean, in the church, but you could be somewhere else. Friendships. And then, maybe finally and I'll leave this alone now, uh, there's friendships with people that are not in the church, not saved. And, and sometimes you're confused because you wonder, well, how, why is it that I'm closer with my unsaved friends than my saved friends? Like, that can be confusing. And, and then you think, like, are they the ones that I call in the night when I need something? Are they the ones I go to for advice? Would you dare go to one who's not full of the fear of the Lord and thus wisdom? But you're like, but they've been there for me. Friendships can be a very confusing thing. And yet the Bible uh, lifts up the friendship of David and Jonathan. So, so we're in this series on the life of David, uh, a very minor historical figure in the Bible. Uh, probably, besides Jesus, maybe the major historical figure in the whole Bible. And uh, last week we did Goliath. This week we do the, the results of David's battle with Goliath and the things that happen as a result. So if you look at 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. I just want to, this morning, I want to give seven observations about their friendship. And, and, and I think there's a reason why this is like the, the premier biblical friendship that you're going to see in the pages of the Bible. I mean, maybe there's a few others, but, but this is like the one. I mean, this, you think about it, this friendship is used... Sometimes it referred to in weddings, even though it's between uh, uh, two men, men of God. It's kind of like Naomi and Ruth, right? When Ruth says, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. And you're like, whoa, that's like, 
that feels like a, a heavy-duty commitment. It feels like marriage. And so, you know, when we read these stories about people who are so committed to each other, we, we are reminded of marriage, even though this is just a friendship. And yet it's one of the most committed ones you'll see in all the pages of the Bible. What are some of the features of this covenant friendship? I think the other way I'll refer to this often is, I know, I know in our culture we don't talk about covenant friends. Unfortunately, sometimes in weddings we even talk about covenant marriages, but we should. I'll use the word faithful, because, because a covenant is agreement between two parties, and you're saying, I will do what I say I'm going to do. I am committed to do everything in this covenant, or may I die? You know, that, that, that's a covenant commitment. I'll use the word faithful because I think that's also a term we, we know better in this culture. A faithful friend. A covenant friend. Okay, so, so here are some features of their relationship. Just observations about what it is. Number one, it's built around common values. It's built around common values. So, there's a big age difference. More than, most scholars say there's a big age difference here. Maybe even 25, 30 years age difference. And yet these are two equals in, in their friendship. I'll just have you note that their friendship starts after David kills Goliath. David was in King Saul's court. Remember playing his harp and Saul has all of these mood swings and, uh, and, and evil spirits are bothering him. And yet, I see, I'm guessing Jonathan knew who David was from the harp playing, but it wasn't until after being the giant that Jonathan was like, this, this could be my brother, you know? This could be my brother. The value's there. I want you to see the story I referred to earlier. If you'd flip a few pages back to 1 Samuel 14. A couple pages back. You know, the church doesn't talk enough about Jonathan, but, but Jonathan is like, you read his story and you should think, this feels just like David. Check out 1 Samuel 14, uh, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, come, let's go to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree in Migron, with them were about 600 men, all of, uh, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord, nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. And so they fought these Philistines, about 20 of them, and they won. Now, I read this and I'm going, The Lord will save by many or by few. And it sounds just like David who says, the Lord doesn't save by sword or spear. He, he saves because He is the Lord. He is 
mighty to save. And I think Jonathan saw David in a new light the day that he fought Goliath. And he thought, this is one that is after my own heart, which is after the Lord's heart. And so they had common values that united them. They were warriors, and they were men who trusted the Lord in their battles. They didn't trust their weapons. They trusted the God who called them to battle. So I say, you ought to, we ought to think about the people that we become close with. I, I would never at all tell someone you shouldn't be a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And, and I wouldn't tell you you shouldn't make friends with unsaved people because they need the Lord. They need to see the gospel in you. You need to share with them. That's friendship evangelism. But the people that you get closest to, the people that you reveal your soul to, the people that you go to for wisdom and counsel and, and, and help when, when you're at your lowest, if they have the common values of following the Lord, you will do well in that friendship. And it, but if you're entrusting yourself to someone who doesn't know the Lord, the things that you will hear very well might be suspect. You might want to rethink those things. Paul doesn't say in vain in, in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Bad company corrupts good character. And so there's this, I need to make sure in my friendships with the world that I'm not, I'm not in these, these, these covenant kind of relationships where, where, where they're pouring into me because that's what my believing friends are for. So maybe you say, I don't have believing friends like that. You, you ought to pray for some. You ought to pray for one. You, you, ought, you ought to pursue that and ask God for that. Because the church is supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to persevere together. That's God's will. That's His purpose for the church. So, common values brought them together. Number two. Very obvious. But this friendship involves a small number of people. It's two. We're not told Jonathan had any other covenant friendships with anyone else. In fact, this faithful friend protected his friend over his own dad. You know, his dad, who told him, you, you can't be friends with this person, and he, and he didn't listen to his father. It, it's just two people. Jonathan made a covenant with David. There's two. The, the thing about this is, I think sometimes, especially when you go new into a church, you want to know who could be my friend here. And for some of you that don't have many church friends, you say, I mean, close friends, faithful friends, you say, I want a faithful church friend. I don't have one. Something you ought to bear in mind, though, is we all have a limited number of relationships we can do like this, like being a faithful, covenant-type friend, the person that you're there for at any time. You can only have so many of those. I think it was Larry Osborne, pastor of North Coast Church, who uh, wrote and gave this uh, wrote in the book Sticky Church, I think, and he gave the example of the the power strip, and he's like, you only have so many outlets, and when the outlets are full, they're full, and so you, when you get new people coming into church, they're looking, do you have a spot for me, a space for me? But if the outlets are full, they're full, and so often it's good for newer people in the church to connect with other newer people because they're both looking for those connections. 
they're all looking to plug in. So I would say if you're new to Three Lakes, I'm not, I'm not saying you won't find a faithful friend, a deep friendship with someone who's been here a long time. I'm not saying that. They may have an outlet open. But don't get too frustrated if that's not the first thing that happens. But ask the Lord, would you bring someone that has an outlet open that, that would be a faithful friend to me and I to them? We can't possibly be friends, close friends, with everyone on our Facebook feed. It just, it just can't be. It can't be. You can't be that kind of friend. Number three, this friendship is expressed in words. Uh, they make a covenant. That's chapter 18, you know, verse 3, I believe. Uh, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Normally we don't do this in friendship. We don't, we don't sit down with your friend and say, let's go to coffee. I want to make a covenant with you today. Whoa, you know, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to show up. You know, I don't know what that means. Like you're going to scare me if you say that. But that's exactly what they did. They expressed it in words. It's, 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 a, it's a simple point. But maybe you can just tell your friend how much you appreciate them. Maybe just say it. Express it. You know, when someone does something good for me, Sometimes I write a thank you note, you know, thank you for helping me in this, thank you for doing this. It's the same kind of idea. Could you just express your appreciation for your friend? I'm not saying we all have to make covenants, but just say it. Man, I don't even know what that looks like. Is that like fishing and like, it's good to be at her with you, Dave? You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good day today. Yep, I got it. I got it. You know, <laughs> don't say any more. Uh, yeah, I, got, I, I know. Sometimes for men, it can go into the awkward zone really fast. And yet, and yet, some of the, some of the best expressions of love in my life from, from other men have been really weird. I'm only going to give you one. Because any more would be saying too much. Uh, you know, I remember my last day at Moody Bible Institute, last day of college, and I, and, I, and, I, and I graduated a semester early because I couldn't wait to get married. <laughs> so I worked, I worked twice as hard and I got out of there early. Um, and I was going to get married in a couple weeks. It was in, in a December. And I remember laying in bed and I'm thinking, this is it. You know, this is my last night in the dorms. I'll miss these smells. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, but I remember laying in bed and I fell asleep. And within an hour... Someone woke me up. Someone was like jumped on top of me in bed, you know. I'm like, what is going on? This has never happened, you know. And it was my friend Ken, and he was like, I didn't say goodbye to you today. You're leaving tomorrow. You know, I just wanted to tell you, you know. And, and, and so he's hugging me in bed. Now I hope that none of you ever do that to me. And if you do, Christy will kick you and punch you and I don't know. I don't know. But why is it that that goodbye is one of the best ones I've ever received in my entire life. You know? Because it was weird and awkward. It was different. And so I'm just saying it's good sometimes to reach deep and tell a person how much they're appreciated. They may not even know. They may not even know their impact on your life. I got to... Um, I was mentored by a great pastor. Many of you know this. For 10 years in Watoma... And when he retired from the military last year as a lieutenant colonel in the army, 
I wanted to be there, but I, I, was some, I had to be somewhere else, too. I don't know what I was doing, but I had a commitment that weekend. He was being honored. I was asked to do the emceeing for the event, and I couldn't be there. But instead, I got to reach deep, and I thought, I'm going to write how I feel about this man and what he's done in my life. And I wrote it down, and I sent it, and someone else read it for me. And I, I can't tell you how he felt about it. I just know... For me, it was good to say it. This is what you've done for me. This is how the Lord has used you. We need to say these things to people. Consider doing that. Maybe not climbing into bed with them, though. (laughs) You can only get away with that when you're in college on the last day. Number four. This friendship was grounded in selfless love. I want you to see what happens here. And Jonathan made a covenant, verse 3, with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic. Now what in the world is this about, this robe and tunic thing? Liberal uh, commentators want to make something sexual out of this. Um, I say it's very, that, that, that's, that's stretching the, the text to the point of breaking because uh, in Torah, that relationship is clearly forbidden with the penalty of death, you know. And, and the word used for intimacy is not used here. It's just not used here. Um, so the Bible doesn't celebrate things that earlier it condemns, you know, in, in Torah. I mean, that would make no logical sense whatsoever. But the robe and the tunic... A king's robe and a prince's robe is a symbol of their power. Okay? Some of you might remember the story. I'll just repeat it for you. Chapters earlier, when when, when King Saul is disobeying God and not doing what God had said, and, and the prophet Samuel comes to the king and says, you're done as king. God's going to get somebody else to replace you. And, and King Saul is remorseful. He's... He's feeling so bad, and he falls down, and Samuel kind of turns to leave, like, I'm done here. I just rejected you because God rejected you, and he turns to leave. And, Sam, and Saul, King Saul falls down and grabs Samuel's robe, and it rips. Like, you just ripped the prophet's robe. You know, you're in trouble now, you know. Uh, and, and Samuel turns to him and says, and your kingdom has been torn from you. And so a robe is a symbol of power. And, and so what Samuel's saying to Saul is, your, the, the robe that symbolizes your power is about to be torn. Jonathan gives David his robe. Okay? What he's saying is, I want you to live the life that I was going to live. I was going to be king. You're going to be king. And he gives him the robe. Now, That is an incredibly sacrificial act. It's selfless. It's for the other person. So friendship is grounded in selfless love. If you think about it, um, and I was thinking about this this week, I, I I have no good answer for this. You go home and talk about this. Why did God pick David and not Jonathan? From everything I read, Jonathan is a man of God, a mighty warrior, faithful, 
why not Jonathan? I don't have a good answer. But when, when someone else gets picked and not you, that has the potential to make you very jealous. And we don't see any of that in Jonathan. Let me ask you this. Are you comfortable being the friend to someone that's greater than you? Are you that kind of faithful friend? Where if they're wealthy and you're not, they're popular and you're not, they have a powerful position and you don't, does that work for you? Are you still thrilled that the Lord is exalting them, even though He hasn't exalted you? Would you take a step back and say, one day God will exalt me? You know, on the last day, the humble person whose things are never, whose works are never celebrated, they do get exalted. But can you be a friend of someone in this life who's greater than you? That's selfless love. That's a faithful friend. That's the character of Jonathan. And I'm like, if Jonathan has that kind of character, why wasn't he king? I just don't know. Other than God chose David. Maybe it has something to do with his father ruining it for him too. I I don't know. Take my robes. You're the next king. And then next, if you look at the text, uh, again, chapter 18, uh, it says in verse 4, he gave his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gave his weapons. Weapons are symbols of strength. The belt is a symbol of strength. The weapons, in a sense, what Jonathan is saying is, I will protect you, I will defend you. If anything goes wrong, I'll be there for you. Again, I want to benefit you. I want to show you a, a text where Jonathan did that. Uh, this is chapter 19, uh, verse 1. Uh, just you know, this next chapter over. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. King Saul is jealous with, with a raging jealousy. And Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. And Jonathan did this over and over for David. And he talked to his dad and said, David's not your enemy. He's done nothing but good. He killed that giant for you, you know, and for the Lord. He's not your enemy. Friendships, faithful friends benefit the other. And again, I'm going, to say, I'm going to say it again. Sometimes there's a person who benefits more than the other. What did David do for Jonathan? I, they were friends. They had a relationship, right? There, there was a camaraderie there, brothers in arms, warriors, fighters for the Lord. But over and over we see Jonathan benefiting David. He talks to Saul. He warns David when his life's in danger. I mean, David needed a faithful friend at this time. David needed Jonathan. And again, I'll tell you, sometimes in friendships, one gets more out of it than the other. You know? I'll never be able to pay my mentor back for for the 10 years he put into me. 
It's never going to happen. All those hours, all that time, having him on the phone whenever I wanted, I still have that. I can call him whenever I want. I'll never be able to pay that back, and it's okay. Because some friendships go that way. Now, that doesn't mean you should be selfish. Like, it's all, it's all about me. But it doesn't mean you should be like, woe is me, I can never pay you back. Because sometimes God gives you somebody to get you through the hard times. God gives you someone that will, you know, be by the bedside at the hospital, and you'll never be able to do that back for them. It's okay. That's called grace. You don't have to pay it back, right? You, you may find an opportunity to do something kind, but in our culture, I think we have a problem that we're all kind of like, we all have a little shopkeeper living in our brain. I heard, I heard one, uh, that was Miroslav Volf, that, that, uh, the, the scholar and writer that said that, we all have little shopkeepers in our brains. And we say, you did this for me, and i got to do this for you. You help me with this, and i got to help you with that. That's not grace. That's not grace. Sometimes the friendship will benefit, benefit one more than the other, and that's the way God wants it, because he's helping you. And some of you get to be the helpers in that equation. It's okay. It's okay. Number six. Um, number six. This friendship survives conflict and distance. If you look at chapter 20 with me real quick. Uh, chapter 20, verse 30. Here we are. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you've sided with yeah? Don't you know I don't you don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan said to his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill. David. You know, maybe you've had conflict in your friendships, in your relationships. It's normal. You work through them. You work through them. For David and Jonathan, the conflict was with Jonathan's father. David couldn't accept Saul's armor, but he could accept Jonathan's weapons. Because they came with a different meaning behind them. Again, Saul probably gave David his armor the day they fought Goliath to say, I want you to fight in my name. Jonathan's gift is very different. And it causes this huge conflict with Saul. Your friend may have moved away and they still might be a faithful friend. You know those kind of friends where you can sit down with after a year or two or three of not seeing them and it's like you go right back into the old routines, you know? You're just talking like you haven't spent a day apart. There's, there's some people like that that God gives us that we get to enjoy. And conflict and distance don't get rid of that. You could have had a blowout fight with your friend, but you know that person will press in and reconcile with you. They'll make peace with you, and they won't leave. And that's what troubles me a lot about church relationships is because we're supposed to be a church with faithful friendships and sometimes when things get hard, we just leave. 
May your friendships survive the conflict. May you be more loyal and faithful than that. One of my favorite scenes in Lord of the Rings, of the, the whole trilogy, is the scene at the very end of the Fellowship of the Ring. One of the most powerful. It, it can bring tears to your eyes. And I think it's exactly what it means to be a faithful friend, if we could show that now. With sound, hopefully.
think that's what we all want. The friend to go to Mordor and back with us, you know. The, the friend that will make a promise and keep it. Who stands at our side and will never leave us. Let me tell you that there is a friend available to everyone. Every one of us. Point seven. We have a friend like this named Jesus. And in in Jonathan's friendship with David, in the covenant that Jonathan makes, we see Jesus there. I want to show you where we see it. When, when Jonathan takes off his robes, we see Jesus taking off all of the rights and privileges of heaven. All, all the privileges that go with being God. And he puts on this robe called human flesh. Jesus is the covenant sacrifice. And, and, and when he comes... He comes to die for us. And then what happens to us is we get to put on Him. I'll call your attention to two places where we see it. Could you put up Galatians 3.27? For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And the second, Romans 13.14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. See, when you become a Christian, you get clothed in Jesus. He takes your sin in His humanity. He, he bears it all. And then He gives you His clothes to wear, His righteous clothes. You put them on, and God sees you as looking like Jesus. That's what makes you acceptable. It's not just you looking good. It's because you have Jesus' clothes on. You get to put on His robes. You get to live His life now. You get to live a righteous life. That, that's yours. That's given to you. Foreshadowed when Jonathan said, David, take my robe. The kingdom is yours. It's the greatest act of sacrifice for you. And you get to put it on and live it. And as Romans reminds us, when you find yourself sinning, you say, no, I am clothed with Jesus Christ. And only am I clean I'm going to live a clean way. I have every ability because I have the robes on. I look like Jesus. I I not only look like Jesus to God, I look like Jesus in the way that I act, the way that I talk. That's what He's given you. Second thing going on here with, with this covenant that Jonathan makes is he gives the bow, the belt, the sword... And the meaning here is, I will protect you, I will defend you, I'll give you my strength. And so Jesus is the covenant defender. He's the covenant defender. He will protect you. He will guide you. A couple of verses that speak to Him doing that for us are Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all need a faithful friend to walk through this life with us. And I pray you each have a Christian brother or sister to do that for you. But you also have Christ, who always gives you grace when you need it. Every single time. He's the high priest. 
He's the covenant defender. And if you've taken part in His covenant, if you're in the new covenant, He will defend you to the end. In fact, Revelation says Satan is an accuser. Uh, The accuser of the brothers who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. Satan accuses us before God. And yet it says in 1 John, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the one defending you. He's the one giving you power. He's the one helping you. You have a faithful friend. Let me pray for us, and then let's thank him together as we sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're always with us that you're always for us, that you're our faithful friend, that you'll never, ever lead us. You said you're with us always to the end of the age. We thank you that you will walk with us through the hardest times. We thank you that you will give us strength when we feel weak. We pray that you'll send others like you into our lives that will help us. We pray that you'd send us into the lives of others, that we might help them. May we be faithful friends. In Jesus' name, amen.